0: Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com slash B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com slash B-E. They are the
1: Fabulous Learning
2: Nerds. Cause if you're tired of the old ways of getting it done, you've got the Fabulous Learning Nerds. Scott and Dan are making it lots of fun, the best ideas that you've ever heard, so everybody spread the word, they're gonna keep you with turning the Fabulous Learning Nerds, Fabulous Learning Nerds, So oh, yeah!
0: Hey, welcome back everyone to another awesome episode of your Fabulous Learning Nerds. My name's Scott Schutte, I'm your host, and with us, as always, you love them, Dan, the man, Coonrod. Dan, the man. Oh, yeah. Dan. (laughs) Hey, Scott, how you doing? I'm fair to Midland. Ah. Well, crap,
1: I have no idea what to say for the rest of this podcast. My flow is completely off.
0: Is it totally (laughs) off? everything's ruined now. You asked me that earlier this week in a chat. How's it going, Fair to Midland? I think we're going to need to make a Fair to Midland t-shirt, and we're going to need to make a Fair to Midland drop for sure. And one of these days, you're going to say, I'm going to ask how you're doing, and you're going to hear this massive explosion. It's going to be great. It's going to be something out of Star Wars. Fair to Midland! Just like that, (laughs) it would be awesome. Uh, And we'll lose hundreds of viewers. It'll be fantastic. It'll be great. For for one moment. You know, actually... I got a question for you as we're talking about these drops. Mm-hmm. Where's your drop, Scott? The theme song's my drop. Oh, you get the theme song. That's my <laughs> drop. <laughs> <laughs> Worth every penny. No, it's I, a good theme song. I suppose uh, we were just talking before the show, we need to give that person a shout-out because he did a great job. I want to send him more work, but then I don't want to have anybody else have that great of a theme song. Like <laughs> that, that theme song... <laughs> That, that theme song is actually a detriment to the show, because it actually means that I have to put my best stuff out there after that. Like, you rock the theme song, like, oh, dang it, now what? Now what? I, I gotta make sure I sound good, because it's that good of a theme song, but, uh...
1: You suffer. You suffer for your art. You don't, I do. You don't know it.
0: You know who else has a fantastic drop?
1: Oh, I know who. She's got the best drop in podcast history.
0: That's right, the queen of design. You love her. Abby Long, everybody. It's actually Abby Dawson, not Abby Long. That <laughs> drop is titled Abby Long because it's the long version. There is, a, of course, the, the short version. Maybe I should play the uh, Abby short version just because, you know, w- is that, should, would that make up for my mistake, Abby?
2: I think everyone wants to hear twice the drop for me, right? True right. uh, story. Let's, right. let's do that again.
0: <laughs> you love her. Abby Dawson. How's yeah. that?
2: that was great. You're welcome, everyone. Are we still friends? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at least through today. <laughs> awesome.
0: I love how this show is starting out, and it's gonna. I'm <laughs> telling you, I am super pumped for our guest today, uh, and and this banter and the energy around the banter is just, I think, a reflection of 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 John's presence. Um, I've known this individual, this professional, for a long time, and I reached out to him and I said, hey, do you want to be on the show? And after an exchange of a small fee, uh, he said yes. So ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Mr. John Quatruci. Wow. Wow, thank you.
3: Thank you for that incredibly insincere round of applause. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Hey, great theme song. And uh, do the guests not get a drop? I mean, everyone was getting you, a drop. You get two.
0: So you got the, the clap, <laughs> right? That's, that's a drop. <laughs> and then we're going to move right into our, uh, our next bit of business, which is learning all about you with a segment that we call, What's Your Deal? Hey, man, what's your deal? Drop number two for you, John. You should feel lots of love. Well, I think you, you also wow. get a third one here in just a minute. So, John, what's your deal, man? What's your deal? Well, so uh,
3: Scott and I have known each other for quite a while. And um, I, he told me about this show, and I was pretty excited about it. And then I found out I was going to be able to talk about myself a little bit, which uh, I am my favorite subject to talk about. So let me just backtrack a little bit. So way, way back, uh, my background is the theater. So I've been doing play since I was uh, in the fifth grade. I did musicals. I did some commercial uh, training videos, that kind of stuff. And then I got a job at a company called Service Merchandise. I don't know if you guys remember them. You might be too young, but they were a catalog showroom. And uh, I was an electronics manager there. And my uh, career was kind of mapped out when I was five. I was going to be a major motion picture star or a, a TV sitcom star. And I moved out to California after college and ended up managing McDonald's. And then I came back to Massachusetts where I live now. And I got this job at Service Merchandise. Well, about 10 years into my Service Merchandise career, they put out a job post for a national trainer for their service contract program. And the um, application was to create a training video. And back in the day, I used to make Super 8 movies in high school, and I had all kinds of video equipment. So I made this pretty big Steven Spielberg-type production where I kept my crew overnight. My manager was great. He let me do this. And it was pretty hilarious. So I got the uh, interview, and um, I went to Nashville, Tennessee, where their corporate office was. And the first thing the guy who wanted to hire me had me do was watch a training video he made. And it was, it was a two-and-a-half-hour video with him in front of a flip chart, basically yelling at the camera for two-and-a-half hours. This is what I watched. And it, was, uh, it just wasn't good. It was just, it was just awful. So I'm sitting down at this big table with a bunch of people who were going to make the decision, and I was actually the only one they brought in for the interview. So this guy says to me, he was a senior vice president, and I loved what I was doing. I loved being electronics manager. I love the customers. Uh, I really loved what I did. So whether I got this or not, I really didn't care. So he said to me, so uh, John, would you, uh, what'd you think of my video? So I, I thought about it, and I could have gone two ways. I could have really sucked up to him because I really wanted the job, or I could be honest with him. So I, I, I turned to him and I said, well, if I was you, I wouldn't quit my day job. <laughs> and he turns, guy, he turns to the guy next to him and says, if he's got – if he's got the cojones to say something like this to me now, I'm going to hire this guy. So I go back to Massachusetts. He calls me up. He says, we want to give you the job. And at the time, I was making $26,000 a year, and I was the highest paid electronics manager in New England. And he said, uh, okay, so this job requires a lot of travel. You're going to be going around the country training the company how to sell service contracts. Uh, it's $35,000. I said, uh, I won't do it for a penny under thirty seven. He goes, it's 35. I said, okay, (laughs) I'll take it. So for the next year, I was on the road. It was 48 weeks out of the year. I trained the entire company how to sell service contracts, and we increased sales by about $35 for a program that was doing absolutely nothing for the longest time. So so training ended up, I went down a path, a very different path than I had originally thought, but... It was really in my wheelhouse because, and I think Scott knows this about me. I didn't go to school for it. Uh, I'm not an academic when it comes to training. To me, training has always been a performance. And that's the way I've looked at it from the first time I ever did a meeting in front of a group of people. It was a performance to me. And I always thought about my life in the theater and how I, and I always did comedies. That was my, that was my uh, thing. And that's what I brought to the training. Also, because I had worked retail for so long in various, you know, sporting goods, electronics, I sold carpet, I sold bikes, I knew how to sell. And, and when I developed training, anyone who sat through my training, I had two things in mind. One, when they walk out of the room, I want them to say they've never seen anything like this. And two, I gave them three things that as soon as they walk out of the room, they're going to be able to use right away. And it's going to increase their performance because I knew where they were coming from. You know, over the years, I, I you know, I, I've been through a lot of training, uh, and because I'm, a, I was a consultant for 30 years. I used to go to different companies, and every company has a different philosophy on sales and on training. So I always had to, I always had to adapt depending on who the client was, and eventually I would bring my style to the forefront. And to be perfectly honest with you, some people really liked it and some people didn't like it in training departments. But the one saving grace for me was almost universally the people who sat in on the sessions loved them because they were fun, they were entertaining, and they definitely learned something. And you guys know when, when, you, when you go to a training, like for sales, we'll use sales as an example. When you go to a training for sales, you can tell right away if the person who's doing the training has ever sold anything in their life, right? Yeah. You know that when you're sitting there, and if you know they've never sold, it's going in one ear and out the other. So when I would do training, I would bring up stuff that happened every single day that they always de- they always dealt with, and they knew that I had credibility. I also didn't try to overwhelm them. You know, I I would do four hour meetings, and I would bet you an hour and a half of it was pure entertainment. It wasn't a message. It wasn't trying to lock something into their head. It was just getting them to laugh and have a good time. And that that has been my philosophy throughout the years that I've been training. Now, so that's my deal,
0: John. Um, uh, your energy is has always been really high as a high energy guy. I I know how that is, and that's great. But you know, I'm not going to pull any punches, John. John was a legend and I met John when I was working in training development at uh, Best Buy and we would do events. We'd do large scale events, 20, 30, not 22, 3000 people at this event. And uh, nobody left his session um, not knowing what they were being asked to do and not without the biggest smile on their face that I've ever seen. So, you know, I, I just want to say I
1: love that idea, like making sure
0: that like you've got like
1: entertainment as part of training. I know, like when I was when I was in training, I used to tell everybody, you know, "I'm just like a stand-up comedian, except I get slides behind me, so I've got an easier time." So that, I love that; that's awesome.
2: Yeah, and I can't imagine sitting through a two and a half hour long training video where a guy stands in front of a flip chart, except that I've seen those videos and they are torture. <laughs>
3: <so>. <laughs> oh. It's
0: like, come on. You expect people to sit through this? Oh, torture. My God. It was awful. Torture. Yeah. I, I was having a conversation with someone, because now they do it virtually, John. The, uh, the one-way webinar. And I, I made a, a... Seriously, that's a thing. One-way webinars are a thing. Leading industry professionals doing a 90-minute one-way webinar. I'm about ready to shoot myself, so.
3: yeah. You know, I just, listen, if you have, if that's what, look, I mean, because of circumstances, you had no choice, right? You had to do that. I, I get that. But uh, I'm not a big fan of it. I mean, uh, I, I, first of all, <laughs> you know, I've sat through some of them, right? And their cameras are terrible. Their lighting is terrible. Their microphone is terrible. And you're supposed to be all in on this thing. It's like if you're gonna do it, if if that's the choice you're making, then you got to do it right. Yeah. And there's a lot of little things you can have an impact on. The lighting in the camera is something you have direct impact on. So why the heck would you be doing it? It's it's just hard to watch. But but again, like uh, to Dan's point, you know, people always ask me at the end of the sessions, "Did you do stand up?" Now I did stand up when I was really young but it was too hard. The hardest part of it, not the performance, writing the material I found incredibly difficult to do. I can be funny spontaneously with an audience. That's very different than writing, you know, 20 minutes worth of material. But to me, you you know, that's a huge compliment, right? But the other one is, and we used to track this, you would do this training. and, And look, frankly, most training departments didn't understand my style at all. In fact, I don't even know if Scott knows this, but one of the first meetings I ever did for uh, Best Buy, I did in Texas. And when it was over, I got a call from my business partner. And he said, John, what did you do at this meeting? I go, what are you talking about? He goes, well, they, they said you're off the rails. I go, off the rails? What does that mean? They said you're, uh, what, what's the word they use? Like you were shot out of a cannon. <laughs> and they don't understand it. And I said, Bill, I don't know what you're talking about. It was, it was great. The people loved it. So I had to go to the corporate office and do a meeting for the district in Minneapolis in front of the entire training department at the back wall watching the meeting. And it was like a firing squad, right? So I'm about to do the meeting and I'm thinking to myself, I, I, want, I want this to go well because, you know, this is future business for us. How how should I do this? Should I rein it in or should I be true to myself? And I said, you know what? I'm good at what I do. I'm going to do it the way I know works. So I end up doing the meeting and I'm getting the, the hairy eyeball from the back of the room because it's off the wall stuff that I'm doing. I'm giving away stuff. I'm playing a game. It's really fun. And they're loving it. They're loving it. Finally, at the end of the meeting, the head of training of Best Buy comes up to me and says. You know our people better than we do keep doing what you're doing. And that was it. And for the next, I don't even, 25 years, I did training for them. And and the people loved it. The field people loved it. Now, I'm not going to lie. There were people in, in some in the training departments who just didn't understand what I did. And they didn't like the style. I get, you know, like I said, I, I give out spam. The whole thing was... uh we gave out spam. We, uh, in, in the service contract training, we always said you can't call it an extended warranty. That's bad. Customers don't like that. But if you call it that, we're going to give you a can of spam, and you have to sing that song from Money Python, spam, 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 <laughs> wonderful spam. And that just became a thing over 25 years. But there were people there who hated it, and they didn't understand it. But when you, what, when they went to the meetings, they they would come after me afterwards and I don't get it. But keep doing what you're doing. It got, it got you know, it was frustrating for me. But as far as I was concerned, my audience wasn't the corporate office. It wasn't the training department. It was the people who were sitting in on those meetings. And when you saw their faces when they're walking out of the room and they're all telling you, oh, I learned so much from this and I had so much fun. I'm like, boom, 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 boom. That's, that's all I ever wanted. Yeah. And the fact that they kept me there working with them as a consultant, and, and it wasn't one 25-year contract, it was a bunch of five year, you know, five years, five years, five years. And that's how, w- with my old company, that's what we did with most of our clients. They, were, they kept us over 20 years, 25 years. So we were doing something right. And, and, and look, let's not, let's not kid ourselves, they were making a lot of money from what we were doing. And, and bottom line, are you getting results from whatever style you're using, are you getting the results? And they, and they were getting them. And thank God for that. I'd want to get back to that.
1: I love that.
2: Yeah. I I work for a great leader and her motto always is, we will not be precious with our content. The goal is always to make it effective and whatever that takes. So like, if that means you got to be goofy, if that means you had to be serious, whatever it takes that, you know, the, the goal exactly. is to get things exactly. done. And, you
3: know, one of the challenges we had was. The style will work when when you're dealing with retail, right? And you're dealing with 18 and 19-year-olds. Okay, yeah, that's fine. You can do goofy stuff and they'll appreciate that. But you know, you get up to the store managers, you get up to district, you get up to corporate. You can't do that stuff because that's not going to work with them. Well, let me tell you something. They wanted the crappy prizes more than the kids <laughs> wanted them. I'm telling you, it was unbelievable because every meeting they ever went to, was this high pressure tense thing where they're getting beat up for most of the meeting. So you go in there and you have some fun and it's like it's like like I did this one meeting where um uh, the dist- it, the district manager gets up in front of the room before I spoke. And he says uh now John's going to come and talk to you about uh, uh motivating your people. And how to drive these programs the right way. I really want you to pay attention. And by the way, if you don't pay attention, there's the door. Don't let it hit you on the way out. Oh my God! Now I get up there, and and the name of my training session is how to motivate associates positively. Okay. (laughs) So I get up there and I said, "Well, uh, now that we've now that the district and I said to him after the meeting, I go, Dave, I love you, and you do a great job. Please do not introduce me. Okay." Because it's a completely different message than what I'm given. So that's the kind of stuff you got to deal with.
1: You know, I I totally, I love that because like, for some reason, there's this prevalent idea that like, once you get into like leadership, like uh, button up and you got to train people seriously. And it's like, no, people like to be entertained day in, day out. Everybody likes to be entertained. That doesn't change just because now you have two or three people reporting to you. Like, Yeah.
3: And it's more effective. And I would always say, you know, they would come up to me afterwards and say how much they appreciated that. And I said, look, let me tell you why, why I do this. Selling and training are the exact same thing, right? So if you model the right behavior, your people will model that behavior. So if I'm a district manager or if I'm in corporate and I want my people in the field to have fun while they're learning, then I have to have fun while I'm learning. So then it all trickles down. So, so it's to me, I was, I was modeling the behavior of what I want them to do. And you'll find, like I did one meeting. um, I can't remember where it was, but it was a big event and I was only a part of it. And as I'm sitting there, I am getting texts from regional and district managers while I'm in the room, they're all in the room, want to know why I'm not doing this session. And could you please do it? Okay. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do? I'm going to do my thing. So I do my thing. And, and Scott knows this. I have a box of prizes that I give out. And it's a big part of my meeting. It's a big, big part of it. And it's funny and people love it. Next day, so they've got another group coming in the next day. Every speaker had a box of prizes. <laughs> Every one of them. But... And this is what I told the guys because they came up to me afterwards. Uh, it didn't really work for me the way it works for you. And I said, well, you know, it's not the joke. It's how you tell it.
2: So, John, I'm so glad you brought that up because I have seen people who they It's not their core strength. It's not who they are who try and get up and, and be entertaining. And I feel for them, good for them. I know their heart's in the right place. But there is a lot of value to putting the right people up in front of that audience, right?
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And look, I'm not... Look, I have a certain style that absolutely works, okay? But I know not everyone is a stand-up comedian. Not everyone can be a clown, right? You have to find what's right for you to make it different than what others are doing. Look, it's like PowerPoint, right? Everybody uses PowerPoint, but most people use it as a teleprompter. And... If that's how you're using PowerPoint, then you're not using it the right way. The PowerPoint is for them to have something to look at other than you. That's what it's for. And I, w- I always ask trainers this. If if your PowerPoint died at the beginning of your session, could you still do the meeting without it? And some of them are like, I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, then that PowerPoint's for you. It's not for your audience. Yeah. And I always feel like it's got to be for the audience. It's just giving them something else to look at that's really how I look at that. And it gives you a bit of an outline. I'm not going to say, you know, you might forget your place. That happens too. But you're absolutely right, Abby. You got to find what works for you. Um, but, the, and that's why you want to try different things. And I'm not saying that, although I, I'm not going to lie to you, the first meeting I did, um, I pretty much had my routine down. And frankly, I was pretty shocked how how well it went for the first one, because I was kind of nervous, right? This really wasn't my what I did. But again, getting up in front of an audience in a theater, so it wasn't that big a stretch for me. But then as as I started to really talk about real-life experiences that happened to me and saw how it resonated with everybody out there, I was like, you know what? I got this. I know what I'm talking about because I lived it for so long. and And you can see that it's resonating with these people. It didn't work. Every time, but I—I would be honest with you. Probably ninety percent of my meetings have gone really, really, really well. I'm not saying they all did, but the majority did because people always walked out. Even people who'd seen me like four times said, "Every time I see you, I learn something different from it." To the point where someone said to me, "I think they saw me fifteen times, probably heard the same joke fifteen times, but they said this last time what I focused on." was not the content of your training, but how you delivered it. Which for me was like, wow, now that's great. See, that's great. That's a whole different avenue. You're, it's like, it's not the joke. It's how you tell it. Because there are always things. I look at trainers all the time. And if I see something I like, I steal it. I mean, training is theft, right? But I would never I would never steal from, you know, well, that wouldn't work for me. I'm, I'm going to steal that. But it would never work for me because that's not my personality. It's like... Um, it's like written training material. You've got a bunch of people in a training department who write this material. And let's say, for instance, and I've had this happen, let's say you've got a bunch of people who have never worked retail a day in their life, never been on the sales floor. They write this big, thick training program that they think is spectacular. You start going through it, and you say, in a billion years, I would never say this statement that they want me to say. So therefore, I'm... I'm not really going to use any of this. Now, I might use some of it as a template and change it to fit who I am. And I think a lot of good salespeople do that. And I, and as a trainer, I want to encourage you to do that. I never give scripts because I don't believe in them. Well, uh, what's the magic uh, bullet for this sale? I go, there is no magic bullet. I can tell you there are elements that can be magical, but you got to find what works for you. I would never say... If you ever used what I said to a customer, you probably get your lights punched out. But because of my sense of humor, listen, if they didn't buy it, they walked out laughing. You know what I mean? Never got ticked off or anything. To me, that's what it's about. You got to find your voice. And, and if I'm 18 years old and I got a 45 year old writing what I should say on the sales floor, uh, you know, there is a difference between 45 and 18. Let's be honest. So I always say, look, I'm going to give you elements and they should consist of these elements but you got to find your voice because sales is about making a customer comfortable training is about making your audience comfortable when they're comfortable with you and you're comfortable with them then you get great back and forth you get them bought into what you're trying to teach them it, you know even when there's pushback you can still win people over and if you've done a good job like you know every meeting you always get some idiot who doesn't want to be there they're forced to be there and and they're going to be disruptive well i never have to say anything because the audience rips these people <laughs> apart cuz they want they want the candy they want
0: the spam they want the pineapple i mean it's pretty it's it's amazing so i want to back up just a little bit cuz you've just laid almost too much on (laughs) us which is great right so the first thing is you know you talked about stealing other people's ideas uh i like to call that casing that's copy and steal everything (laughs) see you know what i meant right i'm gonna case this all the time you and i come from a day before powerpoint yeah where we we went out and we would (laughs) buy uh, and this was even before the sticky um no, if you're trying a flip chart, you would just do a flip chart. Yeah, And that was part of like, could you talk a little bit about the importance of prep? Because I think that's what we're really talking about. Like someone's going to hand you something to do and then you have to prep it. If you're taking five minutes before your engagement to kind of figure out what you're doing, you have done yourself a huge disfavor. Talk to us a little bit about your prep, what you went through and what are some of the Groovy things that people might be able to case from your successful presentations.
3: Well, I do want to say one thing about the flip chart. So that job that I got hired for, for service merchandise. So I used to do, (laughs) this is when you're young, you can do anything. I used to do three meetings a day, three days a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, four hour meetings with an hour in between. And I did that for almost a year. And I had to create a new flip chart in between each meeting. And I'm using those big, thick markers with the vapors that come out of it. So my (laughs) eyes were all bloodshot. It was awful. It was awful. But uh, it's funny because one of the... So I've got some videos on YouTube and one of them is uh, effective training. Training is actually the last thing you do. Look, you're known for your presentation skills, right? When people see you. That's what sticks in their head. What they don't realize is how much work went into preparing for that session because they just think, oh, it's so easy. You're so good at it. Well, I'm good at it because of how much time I took developing the material to make sure that it's going to resonate with you and how I deliver it. So one of the things I do with a new session is I'll actually run it once just by myself, just so I know the timing of it. Um, I'm going to get comfortable with, with you know, the, I've got. A, I use a lot of video, uh, a lot of punchlines. Um, so the timing's got to be right. So five minutes before a meeting, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know what you what you're even preparing. Is the power on? I guess that's about all you could prepare. Um, but it's really important. the The other thing is when you're writing material. One of the things we never did with my company, my old company or my new company. We never had an off-the-shelf program, so I couldn't go uh, to every retailer and say, here's our program, you can buy it. We never did that because what works for company Y doesn't work for company X. So what we always did was, in fact, because Best Buy was our first client, that's what I'll talk about. We spent six months interviewing all different levels of Best Buy employees from the hourly associate up to the uh, CEO. We spoke to everybody. And then we develop the material based on all those interviews. And as you know, as you talk to all those different levels, there's a complete disconnect between every level, right? So the truth is always somewhere in the middle and that's where you find it. And then where you really get the true information is when you start talking to people who work on the front lines. They're going to tell you the truth, good, bad, or indifferent. And if you can appeal to that, then they have buy-in with what you created so it's much easier to say, look, this I didn't pull this out of a vacuum. This is what you guys told me. And we did that for all our clients, and it worked. Now, that that took a lot of time. And frankly, there were some clients who didn't want to wait. They said, we just want something now. And, and we told them that's not what we do. Because the problem with that is you get a short-term lift. You, you can go in with a program, you'll get a short-term lift. But if it's not their culture, their verbiage, uh, their philosophy, then it's sh- very short lived. Look, I sat in on a meeting with a company that I'd been with for 15 years and it was sales training. And first of all, I said, well, you know, I know we're a small company, but why weren't we called for this? Because we've been working with you for 15 years. No, no, we bought in these big guns and, and we spent a lot of money on them and they are fantastic. So I go to the meeting And I swear to you, it was like that scene with Alec Baldwin in Glen Gary, Glen Ross. You see that watch? That costs more than your car. That's who I am. And I said, someone asked me what I thought about it. I go, these people have never been in your store. They have no idea who your people are because none of this stuff resonates with the people who work in these stores. And within two hours, every district manager grabbed these people and said, this is wrong. We got to change this tomorrow because it's so off. Because they didn't take the time to do the research because they had success with this off-the-shelf program and they felt like this can work for them. And it didn't. It didn't work. And you could see it in the people's faces that it wasn't working. That doesn't happen without preparation. And that's, that's all prep. I'm talking about, you know, um, you know, what, what's going to be the, the flow of your meeting? How can you get people engaged during the meeting? What's going to be, how do you get feedback? But that's uh, Scott, to your point, that's to me, the most important thing in any training is the prep that you do in the development of the content, the development of the presentation. And ultimately, and by the way, for meeting prep itself, the actual meeting, I always get in there the night before. I make sure everything works. I make sure the sound system works. I make sure I can hook up my computer. I do not go a half an hour before the meeting and start scrambling with my shirt sweating because I can't <laughs> get anything going. And they're all, you got 300 people in the room staring at you. That should have been done the night before. And, and uh, look, sometimes there are some circumstances where you can't do that. Very rarely, though. Most meetings, you can get in there the night before or very early in the morning. And if it means you got to get there at six for an eight o'clock meeting, then you get there at six because you want to look like you know what the hell you're doing and you want to be professional. And trust me if if you look unprepared at the beginning of that meeting it's going to take you 45 minutes to win the people over and that's 45 lost minutes cuz that's all they're thinking about they're not thinking about what you're about to talk about they're thinking about what they just went through
1: you know i i love i love what you're talking about about knowing your audience and connecting with your audience uh, as like, i came through training on my way to instructional design and like one of the very first things when i got to instructional design i was like who talks like this like I'm looking at all these slides, I'm looking at how things are worded, and I'm like, "This is awful." And even now, like as when I have new instructional designers come on, or I'm mentoring instructional designers, one of the very first things I tell them is, "Don't talk, like don't write, don't talk like an instructional designer. Go see how your audience talks and talk like them." You know, where where I work, we're writing content for thousands and thousands of people, and most of them trend young, and Like, you got to make sure that, like, you're talking and you're putting material in a way that, like, resonates with them. Because if it resonates with, like, a different audience, like, maybe, like, your executives and stuff like that, like, that's great, but that's the wrong audience.
3: That's exactly right. Yeah. In fact, you know, one of the things I do, like, when I write a script, a video script, uh, or I write training, I always like to read it out loud so I hear how it sounds. And you can tell right away, as soon as you say something, you're like, yeah, that's not going to happen. And I, listen, when you, even when they mandate stuff and a lot of uh, companies mandate, you have to say this, you have to say that the really good salespeople don't do it. They do their thing and they're really good at it. Now they might, like I said before, they might use elements of that, but they, they never sound like they're reading a script ever. And people who aren't good salespeople, they sound like they're reading a script. And by making them do that, you're kind of putting them in that position. Yeah. Everyone's got to say the same thing. When a customer comes in, this is what you have to say. And my whole thing is this. If your mother, your father, your best friend came in the store, would you give them scripted dialogue or would you talk to them like you always do? I say you would always talk to them like you always do because you're comfortable. No different in sales. That's exactly how you want to approach every customer. You don't need... now. Now, if you are brand new to sales, you've never worked sales in your life. Yeah, here are some things you can say to help break the ice at the beginning of the sale. But I'm telling you, for for the for your first sixty days, maybe stick with some of this stuff, which will help you get better at sales. But eventually, I want to hear you. I want I don't want to hear somebody at corporate who
0: wrote this. I want to hear you because that's what the customer wants to hear. Yep, hundred percent. Talk to our audience a little bit about your philosophy around hey, I'm thinking about doing some live training again, but this virtual thing is a whole lot cheaper and um, we're doing okay with it. Yeah, talk to us a little bit about your but but, but, that,
3: but think of what you just said. We're doing okay with it, right? Look, everything was trending towards remote learning prior to the pandemic. And as someone who's done live training his entire life, I was dreading that. I think based on what happened with the school kids and the remote learning and that everybody went to remote learning that people have realized it's not nearly as effective as they thought it would be. People are tired of it. People do not pay attention because they're sitting there with a t-shirt in their underwear and they don't give a crap about it because they don't think they're at work. Right. And I'm telling you, people see this because I've been getting calls now about am I willing to go out and travel and do live training? And I go, what, what are you crazy? I was willing to go out last year, let alone now, because they realized that it is a a more cost-effective way to do it. But Scott, you even said it, it's an okay way to do it. It's not the best way to do it. And I frankly think that the people in the field would go absolutely crazy to be in front of a group of people Something they haven't been able to do for a long time. and I think a lot of companies are going to want to do that. Not all. I mean, there's some bottom line they're going to stick with this remote stuff because it's so much cheaper to do. But look, in retail, you're a brick and mortar. You're going to tell me that brick and mortar is better than buying online because the human interaction, the eye contact, you get to converse with that customer. It's so much better than online. But we're going to teach you everything online. Yeah. Well, I don't <laughs> explain that to me. I don't get it. But sales and training is the exact same thing. If if sales in person is so much more effective, then I submit to you that training in front of people is more effective. And, and frankly,
0: yeah, yeah I don't know. I, I, I want to be very clear. So when I say we're doing okay with it, it's not because that channel can't be effective. Because I want to make sure that I'm courteous to my peers who are awesome at absolutely. This. We are. I know. And I'm dear friends with people who've written books about being a virtual trainer. They're master virtual trainers, and they're awesome. My experience is that most organizations were not ready for it. And the process of taking live training and putting it online is a challenge. Just like taking live learning from your school and flipping that switch was an absolute disaster. Because we didn't prep our, our educators on how to do it. You're right, they can't teach and play virtual classroom monitor at the same time. So I wanna make sure that, you know, being clear around the fact that we didn't prep our people on how to do it right. And doing it right is a nuance. And um, it, it has a valuable place if done correctly. I struggle with it with my own organization. Like, hey, we've got to find ways, and we joked about it the one way webinar, right? So, we've got to find ways of making that environment even because you can be the funniest, greatest person in a virtual environment and still put half your audience to sleep because they're right. not engaged. Dan, you had something to say? I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, no, I, I was going to say, like, I, we talked about this last week. I love the idea of remote learning, I love, I love the idea of cost effective. But more importantly, I love the idea of training at scale. Like in a classroom, like you know, you're going to you're going to start uh, as many as you can clam, cram into a classroom. The more it is, you're going to start losing those sides. However, I think that myth of like, oh, this is going to be cost-effective. Like everything every dollar you're saving, you're losing in effectiveness. You're like, "Oh, I saved like 20%." But now we're only at 80% of goal. Last year we're at 100. What happened? Well, you saved 20 you saved 20 bucks. And now you're paying for it because you're like, oh, we'll just do this virtual training. And you didn't want to invest more. I think to get good quality remote training is going to cost more than sending somebody and sitting them down in front of a class and interacting like on a real human level.
2: Yeah. And Scott uh, and Dan, I'm going to piggyback on what you guys said. I think that the that remote learning absolutely has value, but I think we went to it so much because we had to, obviously, right? Right. They can't replace it. And we were just having this discussion today with my training group that um, remote learning and and online learning should complement in-person learning and that that is the most effective solution to really getting good solid trading across.
3: Yeah, in fact, you know, one of the things that I have realized that I think I would like to do cuz one of the most effective things that I would do to really raise numbers, I would do a couple of days with the line level people and then I would have one day with management to say this is what I did, this is how you keep it going. I could see using this remote this remote setup as a way to follow up with those guys. After the after the fact and say, look, here's what we did. It's two weeks later. Tell me what you're seeing. Do you have any questions? And to Scott's point, and I, I'm I, listen, because I'm so pro live training, I don't want to make it sound like I'm trashing this. I am not. What you said is absolutely right. There are great virtual trainers out there, right? But the majority of people who are remote learn or facilitating now are not those people because to your point, nobody was prepared for this. And if you think getting up in front of a group of people is tough to do, if you're not ready, this is a kiss of death, if you don't know what you're doing to the audience and everyone's not paying attention. But, and again, Daniel, you made a great point. Yeah, you are saving some money here, but if you were to take a, you know, like if you went into a district and you talked to 2000 people in a week, Uh, or you do a virtual training that they can all click on to, however that would work, and you see the same 2,000. Would it have the same impact on the numbers? I don't know that. Uh, I would tend to think no, because I know what the the increases were after we did a week of live training in a market, and it was substantial. And I can't see that with remote learning. Now, that's, again, no, someone who has not done a lot of remote learning, maybe there's data out there that can, can show that. But the ones that I have seen, I, I even did, so I do these little like uh, short videos, I call them Q-tips. And one of the ones I did was Zoom calls. Because I kept going on these Zoom calls, and people's people have the camera up their nose, or it's this horrible angle, and they're using like a, a lamp that happens to be in the room, and they, they're using the the microphone on the uh, on the computer, and it's just like, okay, look, you're trying to do an effective training virtually, which is tough enough as it is, but. If this is the setup that you have, the physical setup, what do you think people are thinking? I can't see you. I can't hear you. It's a terrible angle. Blah 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 blah. blah. It's just little things like that. That that again, to Scott's point, people weren't prepared for it. I, and Abby, you made the best point because I do believe this. This in conjunction with live training is the way to go. It's not one or the other. And for these people who say, "Well, live training is dead," I don't buy. I've heard that for ten years. That live training is dead. You know what's dead? Bad live training, okay? Good live training will always be wanted. And this is another way to reach people without having to get them in another room, uh, you know, for a week, right? It's it's in addition to, and I think that's a really great point. I think they can absolutely complement each other if, if done the right way.
1: Hey, John, let's go ahead and move towards wrap up. So if you had like three tips to give people, like how, do, how can they do enter What you got?
3: Okay. Well, uh, yeah, our tagline for my company is, it's not just training, it's enter training. Yeah. So uh, I would say this, number one, preparation, which we've spoken about uh, quite a bit. Uh, I think that's really crucial. People get nervous when they get up in front of people because they don't know what they're talking about. So know your material and prepare and it'll be a breeze. As far as the entertainment goes, I think the thing that I've always said people to people who train, I, are you enjoying presenting the material? If you're enjoying presenting the material and having a good time, most of the time the audience will reflect that. Okay? It's like compliance versus you want to do something, right? If you want to do this training, if you, if you honestly believe that what you're teaching, I don't care if it's the thousandth time you've done the meeting. If you feel that what you're teaching them is going to help them, let that come across within your meeting, with your passion, with your enthusiasm, with your level of fun. And um, I'm trying to think of number three. I mean, look, I believe this about anything. Love what you do. If you love what you do, and you enjoy it it's going to be reflected in everything they do in the creation of the content in the delivery of the material and to me if you can achieve that just look at the end of the meeting look at the people's faces are they lit up are they smiling when they walk out of the room that's a pretty successful meeting in my eyes
0: that's awesome i would i would add one more thing cuz you and i go way back and you're a legend don't be afraid to try something new right so if you've done the meeting for a thousand times that's about the time you may want to take a risk and try something new. And what's the worst that could happen? You learn something. That's right. the absolute worst. Well, we learn from our failures. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we, we yeah. need to do a, a conversation around building failure into our learning models because I think it's such a great way to, to safely learn great stuff. Um, I, I, a friend of mine once said, you know what the uh, price of uh, wisdom is? No. Well, it's pain. Pain is the price that we pay for wisdom. Yes. Um, but and I don't necessarily always like that that analogy, but oh my God, if it doesn't ring true. Um, at any rate, John, thank you so much, sir. Um, it is an honor having well, you on. Well, thank on, you. It was you know.
3: a lot of fun. I appreciate you. It was a lot of fun, you guys. Appreciate it.
2: <laughs> so John, for the for the folks out there who've realized the past year that despite their best efforts going full virtual is not working out for them, what would you tell them about how to find somebody like you who wants to come in and help them and do these live trainings?
3: Abby, what a great, insightful question that I think I may have a couple of answers. Look, I, listen, I understand this. I'm, I'm a one-man operation, right? But I am jonesing to get out there. And, and I, 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 I'm, I'm good at what I do okay the, you know in our in our lives we each look for something that we're good at and when you find it you hold on to it and i found this by taking a real strange route but it's something that i good i'm good at because i love it i love doing these things i love the interaction with the people and and i'm i want to go out there and help you guys so there's a couple of ways to reach me if you'd like my uh, website is q training solutions i think scott uh well, I, I, we're, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, it's Q Training Solutions. I'm also on Facebook, and if you if you want to see what I do, I have a YouTube channel, and in it I have I put on on a Q tip once a week. They're they're between I have mini Q tips and Q tips. The mini Q tips are about a minute minute and a half. The the regular Q tips are about four to five minutes. But they're, they're selling skills. There's training tips in there. How to do a Zoom call is in there. Uh, But take a look at that, see what you think, and uh, reach out to me, because I I would love to do this. And frankly, I I think there are people out there that really want to experience something like this again, because it's been so long. We're all cooped up. We want to get out there and start interacting again. So I love that question, Abby. Thank you. We'll
0: have to have you back (laughs) on where you can explain some of your best dad jokes slash giveaways. Those were great. Well, I can't give away all my secrets. No, no, you can't. No. Like, your house would have been, it, just, for, just for reference, like when John talks about he gave away candy, we're talking full bars, people. We're, you know, that <laughs> John's house was the house you want to go to to holler. Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> he, you know, a box of dots, you know, the big, freaking uh, 12 and a half by eight, big, massive box of. Sugar, it was Pineapple. fantastic.
2: Like if you want to give me, if you want to give me a full box of Mike and Ikes, I, I always sit give away Mike and Ikes at my meetings. Chart. Hot tamales, <laughs> actually,
3: hot tamales. Those yeah. are good. Mm. The funniest thing was you'd be in a hot state and you'd leave the chocolate bars in your trunk, and then uh, you'd bring you bring oh. them to the meeting and you'd go, "Oh wow, I didn't realize I left this in the trunk." And you pull it out. It's hard, but it's all twisted and everything from melting. They love that.
2: Yeah, you got modern art Exactly.
3: Chocolate.
2: Ooh.
0: I said, I'm sure it's still tasty. <laughs> awesome, awesome stuff. Thank you. You're sir. welcome. Really appreciate Thanks it. Thanks again. Danielson. Yes, Scott. Would you do me a favor and could you tell our listeners how they could connect with us?
1: Absolutely. Hey, party people, if you haven't already, reach out to us on email at learningnerdscast at gmail.com. Join in the discussion, ask us questions, ask for free candy, whatever you want, hit us up. You can also find us at Facebook at Learning Nerds. And lastly, if you're on Instagram, Fab Learning Nerds.
0: Well, that's going to wrap things up. I want to thank my good friend John Quattrucci. Make sure that you look him up. All the links from all the things he talked about will be in the show notes. It's a great way to connect with... A true master in the art of entertainment. Do yourself and do myself a favor, folks. Could you hit that subscribe button? Share this podcast out with your friends, especially if you like it. If you have uh, something you want to say about the podcast, leave us a review. If it's good, bad, or indifferent, we want to hear from you. Help us get the word out. And with that, my
2: name is Scott. I'm Dan. I'm Abby.
3: And I'm still John.
2: And
0: we're your fabulous learning nerds, and we are out. The Electronic Specifier Insights Podcast is dedicated to asking the big questions of the electronic industry's biggest players. Electronics and technology are becoming increasingly integral across all aspects of daily life and within society as a whole. Check out the Electronic Specifier Insights Podcast at www.electronicspecifier.com. Thanks for listening to the Fabulous Learning Nerds. You know, there are a lot of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. When do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're if you're thinking of giving it a try, if you're thinking of giving it a try, check out My Flex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com/be to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com/be.